and grab out your Bibles and something to take some notes with. Uh, One day you will take notes, and I believe that in my heart of hearts. But until then, just jot some things down, okay, as we talk today. Uh, We are in our series called Faith That Still Moves. We're studying chapter by chapter through the book of James, some hard-hitting topics that James covers, some wide variety of topics that James covers. Uh, And you'll see as we get to each chapter, as we touch on those. In chapter 1, we did last week, we came to our theme verse for the series. James 1, 22. And James says, don't merely listen to the word. We talked about this last week, that there are so many of us as believers that have so many resources available to us. We can listen to 800 sermons a week if we choose. We can have podcasts and we can have commentaries and we can have uh, resources and books and whole libraries. We can have all of that at our fingertips. And James says, don't merely listen. Don't merely study. Don't merely know a whole lot and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He said, don't just, don't just be the most studied person that you have ever met. Don't just be able to answer every Greek and Hebrew from the lexicon. Don't just be able to do all those things. He says, but do what it says. I love the book of James. James is probably the most practical book in the entire Bible. He just, uh, he slaps you every chapter. I just want to warn you guys ahead of time. There's a lot of pain in reading through James. A lot of conviction. But it is incredible how practical, how much he just boils it down to, why aren't you doing this? And so we're going to look at it. I think it's going to be a fun series for us as believers. So James deals with difficult topics. And he doesn't like swerve around them. He doesn't like take the detour. He hits them straight on. So week one, we talked about pain. We talked about trials. We talked about seasons in our life. We talked about how God is doing something even in the midst of it, that it's growing our perseverance. It's becoming our hope. And so we talked a little bit about that in week one, how there is still purpose even in the midst of pain. So if you missed it, you can jump online, get the podcast, whatever it is. I think it'll help a lot of you. Week two, we get to jump into another difficult topic. Fair warning to you. Verse one of chapter two. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, you know, anything that starts like that, something bad is about to happen, right? Like, like, oh, bless your heart. Like, dear, dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? How can you claim to follow Jesus if you favor some people over others? Some of you are like already ducking for cover. You're like, I, just, I thought about locking the doors. I thought we would just have a great, a great Sunday together uh, going over. I think we're going to come to a couple. But he said, he said, how can you claim that you follow Jesus if you favor some people over others? They were going to deal and wrestle with this difficult topic that is prevalent in the world around us, yes. In the culture around us, yes. In our country, yes. But also in the church. This idea of favoritism, of discrimination... This idea of favoring one group of people or one type of people over another. The fact is, it's common for people to favor others, different types of people over others. It's common for people to be kind to some people and ignore others or worse, abuse and mistreat others. And the Bible is very clear. James is very hard hitting about our treatment of others, about the way that we reach out and do. Because if you pause for a moment and just think about it, none of us actually are... uh, None of us are excluded from today's message. I think all of us, some of us, maybe it's outright and blatant. Some of us, maybe we don't even see because the nature of a blind spot is you can't see it. Some of us, we have these things in our lives. I think all of us in some ways or other are guilty of this. Sometimes it's trivial. Sometimes it actually has no bearing on morals or sin or anything like that. Sometimes if you've ever been around somebody who's like a car person or they're like a GM, like GM only, they bleed GM. Like that is their thing. Like general mistake, right? Come on, somebody who got that 
Government Motors. I got a whole bunch of them, all right? I got a bunch of them. But they're like Chevy, GM. I had a couple of friends in high school who were like this. And they're like, oh, you drive a Ford, like a fixer repair daily. Oh, you make poor decisions in life. Or you just, oh, you drive that old rat trap of a car. You must really just hate your life. You must not be able to do. And we do these things. Or have you ever had a friend who's like a shoe person? And they're like, if you're not wearing like the 1991 retro Nike, if you're not like have that, you must hate your feet. I can't believe you bought your shoes online. You spun the little wheel at shoe carnival. You must hate everything about your feet. I spin that wheel every time. I'm about you. You got a discount is a discount. Where was I? But you have these people or you've ever met anybody who's like, oh, you eat at McDonald's. You must hate your body. You must just absolutely, you just, I eat a Taco Bell. It's much more healthy. Come on, somebody. You see, which nobody ever admits to eating at McDonald's. Nobody, you ever realize that? Like nobody ever, but they sell a billion burgers a day. So somebody's eating there, right? Like some, spoiler, it's me. It's me. I'm the one at the front. But we say we have these preferences we have. And sometimes it's trivial. James actually gives us an example. That's a real one. Come on, somebody. Chapter two, he goes in and he says, for example, Suppose somebody comes into your meeting. So somebody shows up at church dressed in fancy clothes and wearing expensive jewelry. So a rich person shows up at church. This is what James is saying. Wearing fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. Which I just want to pause for a second because I think this means something different to all of us. I think it's funny that we will read this verse and everybody is picturing something different. Like for you, this is the $1,000 uh, tailored suit and like the leather shoes and like the Rolex watch. That's what you see when they're coming in, right? The rich person dressed in clothes. Or for some of you, you're thinking like the really nice dress and got the heels and the expensive shoes and like the purse that's from Prada or Kate Spade. Or I, I did some research for you people. Come on. And so you got like these, you're, you're thinking like, like that's what you, for some of you, it's like they got the fancy jeans and they've got the retro Nike Jordans and they've got like the Apple Ultra too. And they, they're like, they've spent some money. Whatever it is in your mind, rock that. Come on, somebody. Like just whatever you are picturing. He says, if a rich person shows up to church and they're there, And then another person who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. So he sets up the scenario of what we do. If the rich person shows up and the poor person, and he says, if you give special attention, watch this in verse three, he says, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, you're like, you have to sit here. But to the poor person, you're like, you go sit over there, or maybe you just sit on the floor. Come on, James is, James is speaking the language of, I think, things that have happened probably in the early church and have happened thousands of times since. And he's like, if the rich person shows up and you tell them sit here and the poor person, you like stand on the wall or sit on the floor. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Doesn't this moment, James is writing, doesn't this mean that your judgments are evil? This has been a problem from the very beginning in the body of Christ. If you actually think this has been an issue from the very, James is wrestling with the topic. How do you treat other people? How do you treat some people better than others? So first thing, jot it down if you're taking notes. The first thing we realize, discrimination is favoring people for selfish reasons. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, and I hope that you are, not with me. You don't have to be honest with me. Be honest with yourself, because I have had to do it this week as well. If we favor some people over others, it's from selfish motivation. We go to the example he gives. It's a concept that this person who appears to be very wealthy must have this great gift they must be able to give to spiritual community. 
And we're going to put them in a place of prominence. And we're going to make sure that they are well cared for. Because Lord knows you don't make the rich people sit on the floor. Because they might not come back. Come on, somebody. And they might not give to that project or that capital campaign or that thing. So Lord knows you've got to treat them right. But the poor person, they must not have anything to offer spiritual community. They must not be able to teach us any. They must not be able to contribute anything. And so they can sit on the floor. Or they can sit outside. Or they can just not show up altogether. And we won't even notice. It's going to be good today. It's quiet in this church. All right. It's from selfish motivation. Honestly, a lot of the decisions we make in life are from selfish motivation. What can you do for me? What can you offer me? And a lot of us have gotten in that place before. In fact, another scenario where any of us discriminate against other people. Uh, if you've ever been like out to eat with your significant other, or you've ever been like, like you got the babysitter and you went out to the fancy restaurant, you've ever been on like a plane and you decided to get the economy comfort seat and so you kind of changed where you were, or maybe you didn't pay for it, you just stole it at takeoff, come on somebody, or maybe you've been out like shopping and so you're at Walmart or Oak Point and you're out there, have you ever been out where you're trying to have like a moment of peace and you like getting your groceries and buying your things and you look over and there's that mom with that two-year-old who is like wrecking the world. Like they are losing their mind. They're not in the buggy. They're running around knocking stuff off shelves. They're bumping into you. They're just like creating pandemonium. The mom not doing nothing. Come on, somebody. If you've ever been in that place, all of us, especially before we had kids, all of us have always thought, we might not say it, but we have thought, I would never let my child do that. I would, you would clutch our pearls. I would never raise a child who would do, I would never, my child would, and then you had kids. Come on, somebody. Then you had, you realized... But all of us have had that moment where we're like, I would, it's just ridiculous. We are judging that mom for that child's actions, thinking I would never. And we're not concerned about what's going on in her life. Let's be honest. We say things like we're concerned about society and the future of that child. We don't care one lick about the future of that child. They are ruining our shopping experience. Come on. They are, they are wrecking. We, I, I raise my kids. I train them. I discipline my kids. So I don't have to deal with that. And you are wrecking. I came to Oak Point instead of Walmart. Why am I seeing this in my aisle? Come on. I'm a, I'm a, I, we say these things. We don't care about the future of the We don't care about society. We don't care about your crazy child is ruining what I'm trying to do. This is inconveniencing me. This is inconveniencing my life. I'm frustrated because your poor behavior is ruining what I, I bought the ticket for this plane. I got the babysitter so we could have peace. Well, I went to this. And we say these things out of selfish motivations. We discriminate. We judge. We look down on. We push away. We treat outside of kindness. And James talks about this. Because of selfish motivation in our hearts. And jot it down. I want you to see this if you're taking notes. Discrimination comes in many different forms. I think sometimes we are wide-eyed to some and we are blind to others. That it comes in many different... Now, of course, there are some that are obvious to us, like in social environments. James starts it out with this one, right? People of economic differences. This is the example. He says, I want to be aware of this fact. Sinful nature we are born with... And I want you to see this because we are prone to favoring some people over others. It just seems to be born in our sinful nature. Prone to favoring the people who seem like they can offer us something. Because the truth is, when we're in social environments, and you've got like those friends who have the boat, and right, and have the condo in Hawaii, they're known to be generous, and they're known to like really, you want to be their best friend. But the poor person who you say, well, they don't have anything to offer me, it's so much easier to ignore and not listen to and brush aside and not notice. And we have patterned and shaped our lives to do this without even thinking. And James says it's not right. 
Even in the way that we dress, there are some of you who would say, you know what, and I've had this happen. Not very recently. This has been a few years now. But I've had someone come to me and be, Pastor, I just, I just can't honor. And you know that is code in pastor world, right? You just know what's coming after that is good. And he said, I just, I can't honor those people that just have like those tattoos coming up their arms and back of their neck. And they just dress like they're just in the world. And they show up on Sunday. They got rips in their jeans and they got gauges in their ears. And I am paraphrasing because this went on for like 30 minutes. I'm condensing it down for you guys. And they're like, I just can't give any honor. And I just can't believe that our future and like this country is headed to hell in a handbasket. If that kind of person's in charge, I just can't believe it. I just can't have any honor for people that look like that. And then on the flip side of that, you got people, you might have gauges in your ears and ripped jeans. And you're like, those people with their pleated khakis and those old fogies, they just don't know what's going on in the world today. And I just can't respect anybody that looks or acts so silly. Like, it's just ridiculous the way that they do. I just can't, I can't believe. And we judge and we discriminate based on these exterior things that we look at. And James is saying, it should not be. It should not be. Be, but we have patterned our lives to discriminate socially. Another way we discriminate socially is by age. You think about this. I think the church is one of the biggest culprits of this in the history of the world. In fact, for generations, all the way back to the time of Jesus, we have not treated different age groups the way they're supposed to. The church has not treated young people in the way that we should. And we have marginalized and we have discriminated. Even back at the time of Jesus, the families come with their kids. They're going to bring them to Jesus to have him pray over their kids. And the disciples are like running security on this concert. Like they're outside, like, like standing there, got their shirts on. And they're like, this is Jesus. Like Jesus, is this going to mess up our whole thing? Like we have a specific time slot for Jesus to preach. And then we got to move on to Jericho. Like we got to get this thing going. And the families are there like just trying to get their kids blessed. And so I was like, this is the master, like the prophet is speaking and we are listening and we are downloading and it is amazing. And he's moving a day. We can't have these kids messing up our flow. And Jesus stops everything. And he's like, number one, he's going to rebuke them. But number two, like bring the kids right now. Like I got to pray over them. I love kids. I love children. I'm going to pray over their lives and bless them. They are not ruining what we're doing. They are the reason. And I think so often in our church, And I say that with a capital C, like the history of this church, the history all the way back to the times of Jesus. We have misvalued and mistreated and discriminated against kids. We have done this in our own lives. In 1 Timothy, Paul had to write in the early church. He said, encourage Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Why? Because we all do it. Myself included. We look at people who are younger. We look at people who are younger than us and we're like, Lord, bless them. When they get mature, they're going to be able to teach me something. Lord bless them. When they grow up, then they can be a part of what we're doing. Lord bless them. But Paul says, don't let them look down, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know why he says it? Because young people can set an example in those things. We read over it and we're like, good, that's encouraging them. No, no, read it from our perspective. People who are older than the youth, people who are older, they can set an example for us. But in our minds, we pattern where there's no way. Maybe when they get older, maybe if they grow and learn and mature, maybe they we say, well, it's great, but you can't teach me anything. You can't lead a small group. You can't be there doing that. You can't do all of those things. And we say these things, which is absolutely insane to me. Listen to me. We need to begin to include. It's one of the things I love the most about Victory. We have every generation here from the youngest to the oldest. 
that we each need each other, that we each support and bring something to the body of Christ, that each one of us in our place in the body, each one of us doing what we're called to do right now at the age that we are, not too old, not too young, that we are called to be a part of the body of Christ and that we are raising these children up. They are the next generation that they should be on the platform leading worship like last Sunday. They should be at the hospitality. They should be a part of everything that we're doing here because they are the next generation and we are training them. And so this is our calling. And we are called to raise them up at the same time, not discounting the strength and the value and the wisdom that comes from those who have lived a couple of years on this earth. It takes all of us. All of us together, but if we let this age discrimination, if we let this creep into the patterns that we treat others with, then it will wreck anything we are trying to do for the body of Christ. The church should be, we should celebrate us together. Another way to discriminate, not just socially, we do it spiritually, we see in scripture. Oftentimes spiritual, we discriminate against other denominations or other, other areas of the faith that try to do things differently than we do. Or maybe people who come down differently on an issue than we do. And so we say, you can't have any part in the body of Christ. Or we look at their entire section. I've told you guys this before. It has grown up. The thing that blows my mind is there are entire industries built around tearing other Christians down. Like people make their entire paycheck just trying to hunt down other Christians, trying to get them out. It is the most vile thing I can imagine in the body of Christ. That we tear each other down instead of building the kingdom God has called us to build. That we will eat ourselves from the inside out. And so we get into these groups or cliques or we look at other denominations or other people that maybe think a little differently than we do. And we start to discriminate spiritually. It's why we say around here a lot of times, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Like, let's make sure Jesus stays at the center of the church. Let's make sure that it's belief and faith in him alone. That it is grace alone by which we are saved. Not any works that anyone could boast. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. But too often times we have spiritual community and so we get into our bubble and we say, well, those people look like religious outsiders and they can't be a part of what we're doing. And they look like they just have different ideas and so they can't be. Listen, Jesus's whole ministry was to people who look like outsiders. His whole reason for coming was to bring those that look like religious outsiders in. There was one time, you guys know the story. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He and his disciples are walking through. And there's a guy there, a guy who lives in Jericho who just wants to see Jesus. His name is Zach. So Zach shows up and he wants to see Jesus. And Zach can't get through because of the crowd. And so Jesus is teaching and preaching and walking. And Zach is hopping and trying to see him. And finally it says that he climbs a tree to see Jesus. And we'll come to that in just a moment because I think it's funny. But Zach, you've got to know a little bit something about him. Number one, he's the chief tax collector of the area, of a very wealthy city. And so, number one, he is hated by everybody but a couple of reasons. One, he's the chief tax collector. And obviously, if the chief tax collector lived next door to you and came to your house every month to take your taxes, you would hate him too. Come on, somebody. Don't be holy in this this church today. But Zach would show up, but he wasn't taking taxes for like the Jewish government. He was doing it for the occupying government. So somebody invades us. Mississippi invades Louisiana. Come on, we're just going to holy imagination, everybody. Occupying government. Alabama and Mississippi invade Louisiana. Nick Saban lives next to you and he collects the taxes every month. Come on, so I want to put you in the right spot. Hand out every single month. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that is what he's doing. He collects it for the occupying government, but it's not even as bad as that. Because not only is he doing that, he's collecting and skimming off the top. He wasn't a part of the Roman government. He was an actual Jew from that place taking money from his own people. So he's hated more than you can possibly imagine. And he's rich more than any other people around. And he wants to see Jesus. 
And so it says he gets his, his silk robe on, right? And he gets his Nike shoes and his, <laughs> I don't know what he gets. He, and he climbs this tree, which would have been just a sight to behold. And verse 5, Jesus gets to this place and it says he looked up and he said to him. He's like, Zach, come down immediately. I have to stay at your house today. He picks the worst person in the crowd, climbing up in the tree. And he's like, hey, come down because I'm coming to your house to hang out. I hope you have NFL Red Zone and like a bag of chips because we're going to like party at your house today. I'm coming over. We're going to spend time together. We're going to do. We're gonna, and it says he came down gladly at once. Now, listen to me. They hated this guy. Zacchaeus is not a good man. Like, I don't want you to whitewash the story and try to think it. He is not a good person. Zacchaeus is a thief. He's a robber. He's a backstabber. He's a traitor to his people. And Jesus looks up and he's like, Zach, I'm coming to your house today. And he comes down gladly. I want to see the reality is people who are far from God, when they are presented with the authentic good news of the gospel, it is a good thing. They are happy to. He's like, yes, this is what I want. I want that. I want this in my life. I want to. I, I just came to try to even see him. And now he's coming to my house. It's the good news of the gospel. But here's the problem. Verse seven. He came down gladly, but all the people saw this and they began to mutter. You ever met a Christian who mutters? Come on, somebody. Anybody ever met? Nobody. Bunch of holy people in here. Come on. You know somebody. If you have not met a Christian who mutters, you. <laughs> all the people saw this and began to mutter. We do this in the church. I cannot believe every. You have met. He said, I have gone to be a guest. I can't believe it. Can you see what you said? He just did. He didn't know who they Jesus must not. He's a guest of sinners. He muttered. Did you see who Ben went out to lunch with? Did you see who he was hanging out with? Did you see that? Yeah. If he just knew, he must not know. He must. I got to call the pastor. He must not know. Pastor, I just, I don't know. I have seen them do bad. You might not know this, but they do bad things. I got a call. This is about two and a half years ago. I could say this. I'm just going to let everything loose. Today. I got a call one time. Somebody called me. To tell me about somebody else that I had met with and use that. They do bad things. And I thought, Lord, help you. You poor, sweet summer child. I had someone write me an eight-page letter. We're just getting all, all right, here we go, everybody. He just said, mutterers in there. We do this on Sunday. I can't believe those. I can't believe they went. I can't, they must not be teaching the truth there. Because if I saw that person at church. And there's no way they should be able to come to church. And they'd be able to sit there. And the pastor must not be preaching the truth if they're able. Because I know that they sin. I know that they messed up. I know that they sinned 45 years ago and I saw it. And I've been the secret keeper. Like God's going to ask me for my book one day so I can help him. Look, Lord, I wrote it all down because I know that person. Come on, I'll get off my soul. That's just religious people making judgments. Religious people muttering. Religious people create environments where the lost can't be found. That's going to help somebody. Some of you create environments. You're like, why can't I reach a single lost person? You might want to take a look inside. We need to be aware of the fact it happens to all of us. And then the last one, we do socially, economically, spiritually. The last one, you might expect this. Of course, there's a lot more than these. But the final one is even within the church. There's racial discrimination. There's racism. There's discriminating people based on the race that they are, on the way that they look, on the country that they come from, on the area of the world that they're from. And we do this and we pattern our lives. And this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to the body of Christ. Because hear me very clearly, Jesus died for all humanity. He's coming back for all Christians. And if you don't like all the races and all the people, you better not come to heaven because they are all going to be there. 
I don't know if you know that or not. Listen to me. The vast majority of Christians in history don't look anything like us. And until we get that into our little brains, we will not be effective for the kingdom of God. Until we get this out of our hearts, it happened even in the early church. Acts chapter 6, watch this, verse 1. It says, the believers rapidly multiplied. And anywhere there were rapidly multiplying numbers of Christians, that discontent, also rumblings, began. And watch why. The Greek-speaking believers, these are the non-Jews, complained about the Hebrew speaking. Two different races. They're joining together now. And they're noticing something. They said, saying their widows being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So they were, they were being marginalized out because they weren't of a particular race. But they didn't look a particular way. Even in the church, there was a dividing line. Hey, you're not taking care of these. Hey, you're not doing what the Bible says to do. There's a difference, discrimination here. And let me be clear, everybody. It should not be. It cannot be in the church. We need to lead the way in celebrating the diversity of God's creation. We need to lead the way in modeling what unity looks like in the body of Christ that crosses every racial or economic or national line. We need to be the examples of what it means that all of God's creation, that God has a plan for all of us. And at its core, what we need to understand is discrimination causes division. It causes fault lines. And there is so much tension in our world today. There is so much discrimination economically, politically, socially, racially. You don't have to be a genius to turn on the television and notice that there is incredible tension, not only in our country, but around the entire world on these lines. And we need to lead the way as the body of Christ to be bringing unity to our world, to celebrate diversity. And listen to me, if your political ideology causes you to harbor any discrimination against a people group, or a nation, or anything in this world, then you need to get in God's word and change some things about your life. We got to be open to understanding that some of us, we have patterned some actions and some thought processes over our lives. And it has affected the way we treat other people. And James is saying it should not be. In fact, there's a scripture where obviously there's tension after Jesus has been resurrected of what we do with the gospel. Now, obviously, Jesus came to reach all people groups. Jesus came to reach all nations. His message was very clear. He gave his life for the entire world. But after his resurrection and ascension, his his disciples are having a little bit of trouble figuring out, okay, who's included? Like, who who do we accept in here? Watch this in Acts 10. Peter has this revelation with this guy, Cornelius, that he goes to visit. Cornelius is this non-Jewish fellow who loves the Lord. And God takes Peter here to show him that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on them the same way it was at Pentecost. That the same thing is happening. God is moving throughout the world. And watch what Peter, Acts 10, he makes this statement. He says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Some of y'all need to write that on like a bumper sticker. Stick that to your car. God shows no favoritism. Cover up some of the other bumper stickers you have. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Peter says there is salvation for all. Doesn't matter the race, doesn't matter. And we are, the reason we have salvation preached to us is because God revealed this to the early church. That it's for everybody. There's a reason we are grafted in. There's a reason we have an opportunity. There's a reason that it was preached to us. He says, God shows no favoritism. That it is to every nation that if we submit our lives, that salvation is for all. That this opportunity is for all. So what do we do in our hearts to make sure that discrimination hasn't taken its root? 
I stepped on your toes. Let me help you out a little bit, all right? Let me, let me bring this thing forward. What do, we, what do we do to make sure that we're not showing favoritism, that we actually have a love for all, for people that don't look like us, talk like us, act like us? In verse 8 of our text, let me give you three before we go. He said, yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law. So he's talked about discrimination. He's talked about how it's wrong. And he says, good to obey the royal laws found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Read that part with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. A little loud like you can read. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, jot it down. If we're going to eliminate discrimination, we're going to have to start valuing people. We're going to have to value people. Jesus, of course, was the best at this. There's a story in Scripture that many of you have probably heard before where Jesus is teaching the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They're always trying to trap him and discredit him, and he still just goes out there and teaches them and just, like, spoils all their plans. It's amazing. You read the story of Jesus. And he's teaching them and leading, and they're trying to trick him, and so they bring him a woman caught in adultery to the city square, caught in the act, and they throw her before Jesus. Now, this is... The sheer hypocrisy of religion, right? Like in this moment, because it, it wasn't just the woman committing adultery. You understand that? Like, I'm not getting the logistics of it. It takes two to tango. Come on, somebody. Like it is there. It's not just her, but the man is covered. The woman is exposed and she's thrown before Jesus. And they're like, what do you say we should do? Because the law of Moses says we need to stone her to death. And I know you're teaching Jesus and you have all the right words to say, but we've got a thing to decide here. And so what do you say we should do? And Jesus kind of ignores them and he's like writing in the sand and like just like leaving it. But they said they pressed him for an answer. What do you think, Jesus? What should we do? And so he looks up at him. He's like, okay, you want a stoner? Go ahead. But the person who has committed no sins has to throw the first rock. Now, Jesus is the only person there that day who gets to throw any stones at all. He lives a perfect life. But of course, he is full of love and value for this woman. And so he puts that offer to him, and it says the older men among the crowd, because older people have a little bit more wisdom, come on, they realize just what's happening right away, and they begin to leave. All the way down to the younger, they all quickly left. And Jesus is just writing in the sand again, and he looks up, and he has this incredible, profound moment with this woman. And he says, where are your accusers? She says, none, Lord, they're all gone. He says, neither do I accuse you. You look at this moment. That he extends grace to this woman, caught in the midst of it. That he looks at this woman and he values and he loves and he gives grace to her. But I hope you clearly hear me today as well. He doesn't take this moment and say, here, I've extended grace. Your accusers are gone. Go and sin a bunch more because I love you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, here's this moment. Now go and sin no more. He says, you have to recognize the lifestyle. He knows the lifestyle is sinful. She knows the lifestyle is sinful. And he says, here, I've extended grace. And this lifestyle is what's keeping you from God. This life that you are living. Because sometimes we want to hammer at home and we want to just harp on sin. Not because we care about the person, but we care about our own selfish motives. And Jesus looks and he says, here's grace extended. Accusers are gone. Now go and sin no more. Let this encounter change the way that you live. And I think that needs to be the rallying cry of our church as well. We have to value people no matter their lifestyle, no matter where they come from, no matter what they're caught in. We still value people no matter what they look like, no matter how much money they have or don't have. We still value people. Every single person is accepted, but every single person is also loved and valued enough that we would tell them the truth. Not out of selfish motivation, but we would tell them the decisions you're making are what's separating you from God. It's what's destroying your life. We love enough. There's grace and there's truth. That we love enough to tell them 
that we understand and convey, but we have to also be able to tell them your value is not determined by what you've done. Your value is determined by God's love. That your value is determined by His grace. It's not determined. Her value in that story wasn't determined by what she had done or her past or the things that had been done to her. Her value was determined by the fact that Jesus was about to give His life for all humanity. That He was about to be the atoning sacrifice. And so her value was based on God's love for her and the grace extended we have to be able to convey that truth to others. But too often we show favoritism or discrimination. Now I have an example for you guys that I thought might make this a little bit more clear. I don't know. Analogies always break down, so take this as far as you will do it. But I've got 20 bucks here, and I'm not giving it out, so stay seated, everybody. All right. <laughs> now, I wanted 100, but I couldn't find 100, so I had a 20. Come on, somebody. Now, how much is this worth? 20 bucks. Come on. It's not a trick question. How much is this worth? Come on, somebody. $20, right? Some of you are like, well, the gold standard and inflation. Just shut up. Just stick with me, all right? Just come on. <laughs> it's worth $20, all right? Smart people at church. Now, I don't know what this has been used for. It came to me about like three days ago. This is, this is my chance to have this $20 bill. I will probably spend it in next week or so. I don't know what it's been used for. I don't know what terrible things it's done. I don't know if it paid a bribe. I don't know if it bought drugs. I don't know if it was used for something great or used for something horrible. I don't know what people have touched it. I don't know what diseases they have. Come on, somebody. That's nasty. <laughs> that's, why, <laughs> that's why none of us carry cash anymore. That's what <laughs> I don't know who's touched this. I don't know what they've done for it. What I do know is it's worth $20. And you can crumple it up you can drag it through the mud you can shred it and mail it to the treasury they'll send you 20 bucks back you can do whatever you want to it it's still worth 20 dollars its value stays the same i want you to see that is the lens that god looks at us through it doesn't matter what you have done what mistakes you made doesn't matter what terrible things may have been done to you that god still has value on you that he still looks at you through that lens that you still have value to your life That there is still value. And I think the church needs to have that idea. We have to adopt this concept. It doesn't matter what people have gone through. It doesn't matter what they're struggling with. Jesus gave his life for them. That they still have value and they still have worth in their lives. That we still reach out when we see them. Every person. Doesn't matter what happened to them in life. Doesn't matter what mistakes they've made. Doesn't matter what's been done to you. There's still value in God's eyes. That God still looks. And if we could get that perspective. But we insist on our way. We insist on our favoritism. We insist on our discrimination. The value is the same. We've got to learn how to value people. Verse 9, he says, but if you favor some people over others, James is just the progression here. He's saying you should treat others. You should value people. But watch this. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are breaking the law. If you are favorite, and some of you are just like, well, it's just a thing. It's just like a preference of God. No, James said it is sin. If you favor some people over others, for any of the reasons we suggested, economic, racially, socially, it's sin. It's not just, well, that's just the way I was raised. That's just the way that I am. That's just the way I treat those people. It's just the way that, no, it is sin. You can live the way you want to. You have that choice, but it is sin. And the Bible says in Romans chapter, it says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. But you decide, I'm just going to live it. I don't care what God's word says about it. And it's your choice to make, but you decide to go down this road. The wages of sin, that word death, it means separation. It's separation from God. When you willfully sin, you are breaking your intimacy with God. When you willfully make, now listen to me very clearly. I'm not saying if you like lie, cheat, or steal 30 seconds before the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back, he's going to be like, no, not you. Nope, sorry, you're too late, too late, sorry. 
Thank God for grace, everybody. What I am saying is if you willfully choose, I know it's sin. And now that you've heard me, you know it's sin. If you willfully choose to have that in your life, to begin to sin, you probably shouldn't expect to hear anything from God. People wonder around, wonder why can't I hear God's voice? Why can't he speak to me through this? Why don't I see his favor on my, you willfully choose. James says it is sin to your life and it causes separation. You are breaking the intimacy you have with God by choosing to go against his word. By choosing to pile up these sins. Continuing down that road. Because you can leave here and you can choose. You can discriminate against people. You can leave here and go eat lunch and not let anything change in your life. And you say, well, it's just those folks in that situation. It's just this group of people because you don't know what they did. And it's just that kind of thing because I was raised to hate that. You can believe what you want, but it means you're not valuing your relationship with Christ. Because you cannot love Jesus without loving what he loves. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He looked at them and he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he's like, wait, 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 but I can't give you the first one without giving you the second because they're connected. And you need to love people. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. Because listen to me, you can have all the love that you think you have for God in the world, but if you hate people, you are lying to yourself. Because you cannot love people without loving God and you cannot love God without loving people. Jesus said they're, they're intertwined. The first is like the second. We have to start valuing others. We have to start valuing our relationship with the Lord. And then back to our text one more time, verse 12. In conclusion, he says, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you do, remember you will be judged by the law that sets you free. This is a sobering thought that James ends this. Remember, he starts. This is about discrimination, about showing favoritism, about breaking the law of the Lord by showing one over the other. He says, you will be judged By the law that said there is a judgment day coming for all of us. And I'm not talking about like whether you get in heaven or not. Salvation is through Christ and his blood alone. But after that, there is a judgment day for Christians where we will stand before our maker. And I think we gloss over it too often and we think, well, it just be some little pity slap. on. No, there is a judgment that comes for the things that we did, for how we treated the talents that God gave us, the abilities he placed in our life, the giftings that he gave us, and how we treated the people that he placed in our path. That we'll have to give an account. And he says, verse 13 is sobering to me. Watch this. And there will be no mercy. We can't just skip over verses like that. There will be no mercy for those who have shown no mercy to others. There will be no mercy. This echoes the idea, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We like the first part. We We don't ever pray the second. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. With the same measure you judge will be measured back to you. You remember those things Jesus said? And James is saying, I don't know about you, it's sobering. One day I'm going to stand before God. And none of you people will be there for mine. Praise God. But I'm going to stand before him. And he's going to ask me, what did you do? And this verse, the same mercy and love that I extended to other people. The same grace and mercy that I gave to, not in the easy things, not they stole my pencil eraser. And so I said, God, forgive them and bless them. No, the the hard things, God, that they hurt me. God, that they tried to ruin me. God, that they said this about me. The same mercy and grace that I extend to others is the same mercy that God will show me for the mistakes that I have made. The same mercy. So number three, jot it down. We need to value mercy. We need to value people. 
We need to value our relationship with the Lord. But our text says you better value mercy because there will come a day that we give an account. Listen, everybody, we don't judge others because they look differently than us, because they act differently than us, because they deal with different things differently or they come down on issues or they dress differently or they look differently or they come from a different area. We don't treat them and discriminate based on those things or even worse, because they have different issues than we do. Because they sin differently than we do. And so we get up on our high horse in mighty Christian land and we look down on them. They are sinful, but we have issues. Come on, somebody. I'm just dealing with my stuff, but they are sinful. And we discriminate. Listen to me, you got issues too. I don't know if anybody's ever, I got issues. All God's people got issues. If you think you don't have issues, that is your issue. Come on, somebody. You just... And we think we have a right to pass judgment on others. Listen, God will judge you for your issue too. I'm going to close with this thought that when we discriminate against others, when we pass judgment on people, we're always doing it from a flawed perspective. Because all we have is our own perspective. We don't have God's. We don't have his eyes. We try our best to have them. And I think it's important for us as we grow and as we have sanctification, begin to see people like he does. But right now we've got a flawed perspective. And oftentimes I promise you, if we did see people the way God does, we would treat them differently. If we could see them through his lens, like we go back to that mom we're talking about shopping in Oak Point or Walmart. And it's so easy for us to say, you are ruining my shopping experience. Your child is, your crazy child is like doing, is, your child's a menace to society and we pass judgment. You, judgment. It's so easy for us to look down. Problem is we don't see. We don't see that little girl. That grew up and went through a series of dead-end jobs and dead-end relationships. There's nobody in the entire world to help her. And right before we encountered her at Oak Point or Walmart, right before we found her in those aisles, she kind of scraped together enough money, a few dollars to go and buy some groceries, put some food on the table, take care of those kids. And all she's thinking about is survival. Like, she's not thinking about the discipline of the child. She's not thinking about like what's going to happen the next day. She's thinking like survival in this moment. You see, if we have that perspective of the person, isn't it true we would treat them a little bit differently? If we had that perspective of other people, because isn't it true, if I know our church the way I think I do, if we would have that perspective, isn't it true we put that child in our card, we take that girl all around all of those aisles and pile some extra groceries on there. And take them to the front and pay for those groceries and help them load the car and tell them how much Jesus loves them. And we got a whole church that would love to love and support them in anything that they're going through. And is there any way that we can serve? If we saw people the right way, not from selfish motivation, not from favoritism or discrimination or racism we've let grow in our heart. If we actually saw people, if we actually saw the people around us. If we had that perspective, see, our reaction would be so different. Let us be a church that leads the way. We need to be a church that models what it means to love those who are poorer than us. Because we think, well, I am so great. James goes on to talk about, we're going to talk about this. He says, your riches have been set afire. Cry out in your misery. And yet we put so much stock in the riches of this world and we show favoritism based on someone's economic or social. Let's be a church that leads the way. Let's show unity, treating people fairly, accepting everyone from every background, a church that values people, that values our relationship and the presence of God. And above all, that values mercy. 
and extends to others what we have been so graciously given. Because that's how we change the world. Bow your heads with me in prayer. God, would you forgive us? God, we pray today and we repent for every time that we have discriminated against others. God, we thank you for the truth of James that sets us straight, God. Holy Spirit, help us to extend love to every person that we come across. God, that we wouldn't be so caught up in our bubble, our social, or economic, whatever it is, God, that we would be able to see people with the eyes that you have for them, that they have value, that you gave your life for all. That we would treat every person the way they deserve to be treated through the lens that you have. And before we go today, some of you, you're listening to all of this, but some of you, your issue isn't actually addressed in all of this. Some of you, you're just far from God today. And I don't know how you got there. I don't, I don't pretend to know all the pain you might've walked through. Maybe you're in the place that you are because somebody discriminated or judged you. And it caused you to run as far as you could church, from God, from anything that even looked like religious hypocrisy. Listen to me. If you were discriminated against, you were treated like an outsider, I want you to know that wasn't God's intention at all. That was just messed up people trying to do. Maybe with good intentions, maybe not, but it was just messed up people that God's intention for you is that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That he still has value on your life. That he still loves you. That Christ's salvation, that his sacrifice is still available to you. So I want to give you an opportunity today. This is not about joining a church. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I just want to connect you with Jesus. I want you to see that he loves you and that he's waiting for you. That he already gave the sacrifice on the cross. And the Bible says he already rose from the dead that anybody could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That is available to you. That right now you can call on the name of Jesus doesn't matter what anybody around you is doing. doesn't matter what anybody in your life, doesn't matter the season that you're in, doesn't matter. This moment you have a chance to call on the name of Jesus. And our church would be honored to pray that prayer with you. I can give you the words. You say, I'm just confused on what to say. I can give you the words, but you have to surrender your life to him and accept the free gift of salvation. It is good news that God can save you, that he can set you free. Not that you would never make another mistake. Not that you suddenly figure it all out. But right now you can have salvation. Let's pray with them, church. Nobody prays alone. If that's you, you say, I want to pray that. Pray it with us as a church. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, God, I thank you for every person in our church. God, I pray that victory would be a light of healing and hope to our community and the world around, that we would lead the way in loving people, that we would lead the way in seeing with the lens that you have. God, we thank you that you didn't discriminate against us, but that you came for us. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that finds us in our time of need, that extends to us even in our filth and dirtiness, that looks at us with love and value, even in our darkest moment. We thank you for the mercy and the grace of God. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.
And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today? One more invitation.